many times kids will form teams across countries, across genders, across socioeconomic levels. So what comes out of all of that is just so many multiple different approaches to solutions. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I am super excited about the conversation that we are about to have. And today in particular, I'm super excited because uh, we are going to be talking about the Conrad Challenge. And I have been familiar with the Conrad Challenge for a number of years, um, advocate for it frequently, um, send the notifications out all the time to schools and colleagues around the world because it's so phenomenal. And I've been a judge for a number of years. And so I feel a little bit like a fangirl um, because today we are going to be interviewing Nancy Conrad and joining her is Ankesh Madan, um, who I was a participant. And so over the years, um, what the Conrad Challenge has done is just remarkable. And so um, welcome uh, to Nancy and Ankesh. Thank you. So a little bit of context for those of you that aren't familiar um, with Nancy and Nancy's journey. Um, Nancy is a former teacher and has been for many, many years now a, a very well globally recognized leader in transformative education, one of the top 100 leaders in STEM, featured speaker, so on and so forth. Um, she is also the wife of Pete Conrad, who during the Apollo 12 missions became the third man to walk on the moon. And in honor of her husband and Pete's work, Nancy founded um, and is also the chairman of the Conrad Foundation and the Conrad Challenge. And um, so Nancy, as we get started um, in this conversation, would you share with our listeners just a little bit about sort of what the challenge and the foundation's work in that space really means to you? Sure. What it means to me? Yes. Okay. (laughs) And why? Because this is the opportunity to flip the, the, the lens on education. Um, I have been really all my life working on bringing students away for them to participate in their own learning. I'm not going to admire the problem of the complacent classroom with the students sitting there sucking up learning to take a test that proves that they know something. Mm-hmm. That's the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working really forever on inviting students to participate in their own learning. And that's what the Conrad Challenge does. I love the title of your podcast, uh, Learning Unboxed, because mm-hmm. unboxed thinking is at the core of what we do. So, you know, we've been taught forever that there's two ways of thinking of things, in the box and out of the box. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a box. Exactly. So we actually created a no-box toolbox so that there's a framework for young people to understand how to combine design thinking and systems thinking. And we invite our students to really design the future by creating products to solve big global and local challenges. They do it in categories, aerospace, energy, mm-hmm. cyber, and health, basically. 
So these kids are, are creating products. They work in teams, two to five in a team. They're 13 to 18 years old. I was a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. My husband got his moonshot when he was in high school. So that made perfect sense. So it's what we do. And it's uh, really very, I call it pull education. Pulls superpowers. It pulls integrated mm-hmm. learning. It pulls students into their own um, education, really, and pulls them into participating in what the future looks like. So that's at the core of what we do. And I love every aspect of that. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the the challenge has had such great appeal to me over the years. And certainly at Past Foundation, we believe in all of the things that you were just talking about, that you know we want to empower people to be fully immersed, lifelong learners, and quite frankly, to solve big, giant, global, wicked problems. And we also, I think very much um, in the same vein as you believe that kids are quite frankly capable of solving a lot of our global problems. Capable, they are super smart. Yes. Yes. Just opening up that, I don't know what to call it, uh, just opening the door to their own creativity and their own capabilities is mind boggling. It is mind-boggling, and it's absolutely awesome to behold. And and actually, um, that sort of gets us to to Arncash. So, who was a participant in the Global Challenge in 2010? And just for a little bit of context for our listeners, so we're going to have him talk about that experience. But to sort of you know put it into sort of space and time since then, you know, Arncash is a tech investor and entrepreneur. I love that you call yourself a recovering materials engineer. I think that's kind of near and dear to my heart as well. And you know, you have been involved in investing in designing in thinking of so many amazing innovations. The list on your bio is is as long as as you are you are tall. I suspect if you really started to pull it apart, right? And all the ins and outs of it. So share with us just a little bit because you've been on this journey for a while and you've you've known Nancy um, in a variety of different um, sort of, of aspects and endeavors, I suspect, if we were to really sort of dig into all of that. And so talk to us a little bit about the long-term impact of having been a participant in the challenge on your journey because it's quite remarkable. You know, I appreciate the kind words, Annalise. And, and really, <laughs> I think that uh, what, what it comes down to is that I, at least for me, I've always thought about the Conrad Challenge and my experience with the challenge back in 2010. Um, as you can tell, I'm no longer 13 to 18 years old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but for me, it really was kind of this, uh, this like starting block. You know, it was, it was the starting block from which I really launched my entrepreneurial career, this uh, journey into investing. You know, I think the this uh, no box toolbox that Nancy alluded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we often, especially kind of in within the bounds of traditional education, uh, there's a lot of really innovative things that are happening. But often, I think uh, the tools that you collect are ones that are help. They help you solve problems that are within the workplace. Maybe kind of like they're they're less specific tools, right? And mm-hmm. as the as our societal problems get more and more complex, more and more specific, we increasingly need kind of more specific tools to be able to solve them, right? So whether mm-hmm. rather than taking a hammer to every nail, you know, ideally we have scalpels. We have more specific tools that can help us address these challenges. So for me, the Conrad Challenge was kind of this, this uh, starting block from where I learned to very quickly assess problems and understand, okay, how do, I, how do I learn to address this? What are the, you know, different lenses I can look at this problem and say, okay, is there a solution? Is there a, 
what are the different ways I can address this, whether it's through a product or a policy solution or something like that. It's mm-hmm. really about being able to look at problems and quickly assess how to develop a solution for it. So that's what I think the, the Conrad Challenge kind of helped uh, start me on the journey of. And so far, it's, it's, it's going pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree it's going pretty well, like I said, by taking a look. You know, one of the things that having been a judge for the Conrad Challenge for a number of years that I have always been impressed and I've, I've been so impressed by many, many of the different sorts of aspects or elements of the challenge that every time I finish a judging session, and it's for me, uh, you know, I, I will fully admit I'm the judge that waits till the very last minute. I've got it weeks in, a, in advance, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, I've got this stuff and the deadline to get it all turned in and, you know, we're pounding down to that last minute. But the flip side of that is I find it highly energizing, right? Because, you know, I I spend probably a day or two just completely immersed in the amazing ideas that these young people have. And often we'll go back to my staff and tell them about the things that these kids were coming up with. And and it's a wide variety of things. And those problem solving and the deep, deep thinking skills, I think, are some of the things that appeal the most to me. The other thing that, although I've never seen it articulated as part of the the, the program, Program elements, but I, I've seen it over and over again. And so it clearly it's it's just a natural piece of, of the program's evolution is the cultural component. And what I mean by that is the participants have a not just a deep understanding of the need in their own community, but a deep understanding of how their solution could help others that they have such limited understanding of, and yet it's intuitive to them. And so I'm really curious, Nancy, as the Conrad Challenge has been going on for a number of years, I suspect you've seen a number of trends over those years, not so much in the themes, but sort of in the way the students approach problem solving. And I'm super, super curious about what some of those those sorts of things that you see are the surprises along the way. Every portfolio is a surprise. Yeah. I mean, when you open that that opportunity and there's no box and it's not make this and if you make it better, Mm -hmm. you get it's, you know, find a solution. And, and a lot of these students are not only solving challenges, they're doing social good, social mm-hmm. impact. They're very yeah. engaged. I have a theory. I wish I could study it. Um, and maybe that's an opportunity for someone. We work with Gen Z, 13 to 18. Gen Z is the digital native generation. These kids grew up on the internet. We've been on the internet since we were born 16 years ago. These kids see the world in the same way Pete saw it when he stood on the moon and looked back at Earth. No borders, no boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The kids see it the same way. They will work together across countries, Mm -hmm. socioeconomic levels, genders. They don't care where you are. And many times kids will form teams across countries, across genders, across socioeconomic levels. So what comes out of all of that is just so many multiple different approaches to solutions. And and the opportunity for the kids is really not just to design something. So design thinking is part of it. You've got to deploy it. Right. So it's commercially viable solutions. So the design thinking needs systems thinking. It's yeah. kind of a special sauce. I wish I could tell you I see a trend. What I see is more and more and more students coming into this platform because it is like, it's no box. Right, right. 
And let's face it, the classroom is pretty much a box, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's good things in that box, but, but being able to, to not only design and create and work in a team, so the team has leadership, collaboration, communication, operation, mm-hmm. right? You're learning all that too. You're learning how to pitch. You're finding your own authenticity. And you may get a patent and you are. Right, right. So I, I will share with you a, a, an interesting story. This past year, we had eight winning teams. We work with Denton's, which is the largest law firm in the world. And I was on a call with all of the teams. The, the end game was going to be which team got the, the patent award. Right. And I had got a call and this lawyer from Denton said, uh, I don't know what to do. I said, what's wrong? He said, they're all so great. We're going to patent all of them. Oh, that's spectacular. Oh, it's like, <laughs> wow. Wow. And the kids own that. Now, we don't want them dropping out of school and making companies, mm-hmm. raising money and building mm-hmm. websites. That's not the point of this. The point of this is really to open up your own superpower and you understand how to think and how to learn so that you go on and you become someone like Ankish who mm-hmm. is creative and entrepreneurial and can design the future actively doing yeah. it. Yeah. So I don't, I wish I could tell you I saw a trend. Um, I will say space is getting a lot more interesting these days. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and it's our legacy. So we've always had a lot of students. I don't know. Ankish, do you see a trend? Yeah, I think, I mean, the way uh, I don't see necessarily, there's some trends on the sector side, of course, but I think that the trends that I see are a kind of a general push towards self-directed learning, right? This is more of a, a cultural trend where, um, you know, the students that come in, I mean, it's, it's not just, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, COVID-19 also accelerated uh, everyone's ability to go digital, right? We had, we had a team last year where it was a five-person team and all of them were from different countries. You know, they met on different online forums and they formed a team across, you know, Singapore, the US, the UK. So this is, you know, time zones and cultures. Uh, this is a cross-cultural, cross-time zone, cross-world team that managed to produce some really, really incredible business plans. So it, it's, it's partially about this, um, you know, I think that uh, the, the fact that, you know, what, what Nancy was saying about this, about the Gen Z uh, kind of landscape means that they're digital, digitally native. They can very easily uh, kind of connect with others and learn from each other. But it's because they're very self-directed. It's because they can say, Okay, we want to solve this challenge, this problem, and because of that, we need to learn to go, you know, do CAD software at home. We mm-hmm. need to learn to do mm-hmm. some 3D printing. We need to learn to go build an app. Um, but they they build the skills based on the problems they want to solve. And what's enabling that is the fact that, you know, like Nancy was alluding to, it's this platform where you're forced to. Um, it's a in in a way, it's like this. Uh, it's a no constraint area where now you get to choose what you need to learn or what you want to learn. And it's not that everyone's going to learn to pitch, for example, to judges. It's maybe you have a couple of people who are going to be the experts on pitching, a couple of people that are the technical experts on the team. I think once you give the, the t- these teams the ability to just define their own roles, learn the, the skills that they need to learn, you know, it kind of falls into place. So I think that that's the, been the biggest trend is over time, more and more self-directed learning means that you learn more specialized skills at an earlier age. And that's, I think, I think that's being reflected in the quality of the projects and also the the specificity of the projects that we see. You know, we saw a 
uh, because of the wildfires in, in California and really all around the world that have been raging, we saw a project uh, where there were, you know, a team was using sound waves to extinguish, extinguish wildfires. And that's wow. because of you know, a current wow. cultural problem. Yeah, wow. Right? That's a big wow. That's a big wow. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um... <laughs> Go ahead, Nancy. You know, it's the self-directed learning that, that you just focused on. There, there's a couple pieces I want to share just out of what Ankish just said. One is, as these kids begin to work across countries, cities, states, etc., you have now a platform where education can start to become diplomacy. Exactly. Yes. So isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. You know, peace could break out. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> That's part of what's so fascinating to me. And the other part is this self-directed learning that you talked about on fish. We don't tell the kids, you know, well, make this. You make it better, you win. And, and the, the products across the categories are from A to Z, and you can't even begin to imagine what they're going to be. And the, the wonderful surprise for all of us, and you get to do this as a judge, is to just see what these kids create. And yeah. some of them yeah. are insanely amazing, and they don't win. Mm-hmm. But they have won because mm-hmm. they've become part of this. And they have learned how to be their own best learning system. Yeah, they, ab- they absolutely do. And I would say that, you know, as a judge, that is one of the things that I am blown away by every single time. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Ankesh, your, your observation about the, you know, there are many, many downsides, obviously, to, you know, the global pandemic, and we're still in the midst of it. And it, there's, you know, on some levels, no end in sight currently, if we sort of think about what's happening around the world in, in you know, different rate and pace. And one of the things that I noticed last year um, was actually that the kids would talk about, it would come up in their videos that would come with their business plans that were coming my way about how that disruption, you know, on some levels made it a little bit more difficult for them to do X, Y, or Z, whatever it was tied to, but, but the flip side of it was every single one of the, the times that that was mentioned, they very, very quickly pivoted to the advantage that it then provided to them. And I would say almost universally with the set that I was um, evaluating, that advantage was that they found a new way to work to work better, faster, harder, more creative, more creatively, and that they had a universal feeling of freedom in the work because, yeah. because some of the traditional boundaries that they may have naturally encountered having participated in a more traditional year were suddenly gone. And I think many of them sort of felt like the world had sort of unfettered for them in, in, a, in a unique kind of way. And that's not obviously the way the kids expressed it, but it was really the essence that, that I sort of came to repeatedly in listening to those presentations. But I am really curious on Kesh, based on your experience, having participated in the challenge and then going on to do all the different things that you're doing these days and thinking about the fact that you yourself are one of those digital natives, you know, in terms of sort of encompassing this sort of space in the world. If you think about sort of the what's next, right, in terms of the world of innovation, because you're seeing stuff as an investor all the time. 
And if you think about the things that the kids are working on, where do you see sort of the push points? Not the ideas. I'm not asking about the ideas, but I'm asking about the way you think about innovation and what's going to make innovation successful at scale. Because that's one of the pieces that I would argue all of these endeavors ultimately struggle to truly, truly be able to identify. Yeah, it- it's a, oh man, that's a loaded question. But I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, I I currently I work in the venture capital industry as an investor, mm-hmm. primarily focused on deep technology. You know, that's anything from synthetic biology to you know digitalization of under digitalized industries like pathology, for example, warehouse automation to help enable e-commerce of the future. Really, it's focused on uh, breakthrough technologies that are can be commercialized to help improve our lives, and. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, my I've always felt that my unfair advantage in the industry is the fact that at, since I was a kid, you know, I used to get grounded for reading. I used to read a ton. You know, it was, I think uh, it wasn't just not it wasn't just uh, nonfiction. It was actually mostly novels, and with even within that, it was science fiction. So I always felt that my unfair advantage within venture capital was that I read a lot of science fiction and can draw upon the visions of all these authors who, you know, kind of. Think about the world. Their entire job is to think about what the world can be, right? I'm in the mm-hmm. middle of a, a series mm-hmm. right now that was written in the 1980s, but you know, it's imagining the world what it would look like in 2200s, 2300s, and even today, I think some of the some of the learnings around how commercial space will evolve, for example, in this series, mm-hmm. it are starting to come, you know, come to bear in the 21st century. So, you know, that was always my unfair advantage was kind of leveraging the insights from science fiction. But I think the other other part of it now, at least for me, is seeing the creativity that the the students in the Conrad Challenge are bringing to bear to solve current challenges. Right? There's this there's this idea that you know, like let's let's take the example of COVID nineteen last year during the pandemic. I think the students that exhibited the ability to very quickly adapt. You know, I think more mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. students are getting better at quickly adapting to change, and those are also the ones that. Um, you know that ability is what gives you the ability to be a good entrepreneur or entrepreneur in the future because you can adapt to changes, be very nimble in steering your organization through through changes. Um, mm-hmm. You know the startups of today, the ones that uh, have have succeeded or survived over the last five to ten years, it's the ones that say, "Oh no, here's a new market condition. Let's respond in kind and let's do it quickly." You know, maybe mm-hmm. there are, for example, in the EV electric vehicles landscape, the companies that are doing great are the ones that were around for a while, but now they're capitalizing on the trends and the tailwinds yeah. in the industry. The ones that are surviving, it's, it's really just about adaptation, right? Who, whoever can build the skills and adapt quickly, I think that's what enables long-term survival and also you know, the ability to thrive uh, in you know, whether it's an entrepreneurial or an entrepreneurial setting. So Nancy, you know, sort of following up this idea of the virtual world that we're living in and all of our digital natives, the challenge itself has had to make pivots. So not just the participants, right? So talk to us a little bit about some of the pivots that the challenge has had to make in our current times. Well, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, we were probably the first of these sorts of activities that started, I think, gosh, maybe early January, maybe end of December, in the first year of the pandemic, this is going to be a BC and an AC, before COVID and after COVID. (laughs) I hope we get to the after COVID. But we had to become our kids. We had to think about where's the platform that's Mm -hmm. going to solve, that's going to do all the kinds of things we do at Summit, at least most of them, Mm -hmm. and not be in postage stamps talking at each other, but could integrate with each other. 
And one of our team found a fabulous platform. In fact, Ankesh was our host this year for our mm-hmm. virtual summit. And I don't know what this year is going to be. I don't know if we'll be able to do our innovation summit mm-hmm. in person, or it may have to be a hybrid and it's something we're mm-hmm. looking at now. But that that agile thinking, the ability to look at different things in, in a systems approach and, and find the thing that you can pivot to because you can, you're not stuck in a mindset, mm-hmm. right? So we went through it. It was really interesting. And then we had to train everybody on the side. And I think it was extremely successful this year. Um, mm-hmm. The kids, the intersection with the judges even is really been interesting. And, and one of our um, board members, uh, his name is Simon. We've, we've named him our, our Supreme Judge. <laughs> because he he does he was just here he does the rubrics and the evaluation pieces that you get as mm-hmm. a judge. we hope you will judge this year again. oh absolutely uh, yeah. I would miss it <laughs> yeah it was quite something so I think the tune in that we do in this team that we work with is oh young mm-hmm. Ankesh is part of our advisory board we have members on our board of directors who are past competitors. We have an alumni leadership council that's all over the world and alumni that are all over the world. So this isn't just a one and done. This Mm -hmm. is become part of a whole community of young innovators and entrepreneurs that are all over the world. Yeah. And, and it's an embrace. I mean, this is, this is your forever uh, tribe. Yeah. And it's an experience that sticks with these kids. I've actually met over the years, a number of, kiddos that participated at various levels and various sort of success metrics, if you will. Um, But every single one of those students speaks of the experience fondly in the sense that I learned so much. And what they will almost always tell you when you really sort of dig in about, well, what was the thing you learned the most of, right? And so what they will tell you, and I'm curious on cash as, as, as a participant yourself and still being involved so many years later, what they tell me is that they learned a lot about themselves. Exactly. And they learned not just about their strengths and weaknesses, but they learned about how to um, sort of channel or funnel aspiration into reality. So talk to us just a little bit about sort of your your experience with sort of carrying some of those things forward, sort of from that, that, that mindset of somebody who's young, because this could be incredibly intimidating. And yet that is one of the other things that I would argue, yes, you could see some nervous kids along the way, but I would argue these kids are fearless. Oh. Yeah, I, actually, I, I think Nancy has a couple of really good stories about this. I'll, I'll kind of let her tell as well. But uh, just from my perspective, I mean, um, the biggest things I think that we tend to see the students take away, and I mean, even I took away, were that, you know, the hard skills are really important, right? Learning to mm-hmm. do business modeling, learning to, you know, do some of the budgeting, the, uh, uh, the marketing plans, all of that stuff, even like designing and building prototypes, all of that is really important. But I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we tend to see the, the challenge really gives a, maybe like some of the first exposure to is development of soft skills, right? Net, right. Networking with mm-hmm. others, trying to understand how to leverage your networks to help your organization, help your idea. You know, what we, we see is uh, it's not just about, you know, no entrepreneur is in a bubble when they're building their, building their solution to a problem. It, it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. Every single successful entrepreneur out there can probably point to hundreds of people that have helped them in their journey. 
And I think that's a really key piece of this is the soft skills necessary to build, cultivate, and leverage your network to help you succeed. Um, that's something that you know we've started kind of focusing on more in recent years. I think uh, now students will have kind of networking sessions prior to the summit, even after summit, to try to continue to maintain the networks. Even you know. Uh, bring a lot of students even bring business cards now, so they can start to mm-hmm. kind of have these relationships. And of course, you know, LinkedIn even um, has yeah. been a, a really good tool. So uh, I think the networking piece has been a big one that we've recognized that really can be helpful. But also is mm-hmm. you know I think I think we've just begun ta- we've just begun tapping this the surface of how you can leverage the Conrad Challenge Network, both you know not only your cohort necessarily like in a certain year. But also mm-hmm. the alumni. How do you leverage your alumni yeah. network to, you know, continue to build, build your, build your businesses, build your companies? Maybe uh, down the road, solve challenges that you come across in college, post college. I think mm-hmm. that this network mm-hmm. piece is, is probably the the biggest one we've seen uptick in, but also where there's still the most opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I would argue that is boundless opportunity for a student who will embrace it. I'm curious, Nancy, sort of as we, we we think about the sort of full circle on the conversation, you know, one of the sort of big pushes that we're seeing a lot in, in education um, today, certainly both in the U.S., but, I, I, but, but global as well, has tied to the process of ensuring that students understand and utilize empathy, right? And that they are full individual participants in their community and understanding and respecting sort of the lives of others. And that is one of the pieces that I have found as a judge that you can see that in the students and the students' presentation. And and I mentioned earlier that I see students having a, a pretty interesting or engaging perspective around culture, although that's not the way that they articulate. That's me with my, my anthropologist hat um, on. But the reality of it is you can see these kids thinking about the world from a not just I'm going to solve a problem, but I'm I'm solving sort of human and environmental issues in a in a manner that is based on compassion and worldly understanding. How does the challenge? How does the challenge do that? Because it's really difficult thing for many folks to teach, and yet almost every single presentation I watch, the kids are channeling this. So I can't when I say pull. It's in the kids. And yeah. part of that is their worldview. And, and part of that is the network that surrounds mm-hmm. them that are, they found their vibe and their tribe, if you will. Right, right. And when you're doing this kind of work, I'll give you a perfect example of what you're talking about. I think it's perfect. There's some kids in Miami about, gee, I think it was when you competed on this, that many 2010 ish, they created a water purification system, portable, low cost, and they kept tweaking it year over year. And they created it really during the earthquake in Haiti as how could they do social good? What, how mm-hmm. could they create something that would impact the lives of people that weren't as fortunate as they are? So that developed and kept improving over the years. It ended up in a birthing clinic in the Congo. And yeah, and babies used to come out of the womb washed in dirty water. But because of these kids out of Florida, babies were washed in clean water. And so the rate of death at birth went down exponentially. Um, They're in all sorts of, I think they're still in deployment in, in at least nine countries. And it seems like 
almost, I don't know what the percentage is. I'd have to take a, a rubric against it to tell you the answer. But a high percentage of the students' innovations benefit humanity. And that's built mm -hmm. into the competition because we ask them to do that. Right. They're working and in sustainability. How will you benefit? You know, create a commercially viable product that benefits a community, either global or local. So it's built in. It is built. It is built in, and I think that the other thing, Nancy, that certainly I have seen is, I think if I were to put my finger on it, part of it is because the challenge by design believes these kids can. Oh, absolutely. Right, but that's incredibly powerful. That you know that that there is this great thing, the Conrad Challenge, and all. Of, if you think about all the business and industry and entrepreneurs that are behind this thing and are involved in this thing, collectively saying, "We believe you can solve this problem." We, as as a whole host of industries, we haven't gotten there yet, but we wonder if maybe you can. That is so incredibly empowering to young people who are craving, who are craving a place and space in the world to be acknowledged for something in a ver very early uh, age. Yeah. yeah, and it really lays the foundation for innovative workforce. Yes, it does. And we don't know what jobs are going to look like in five years. Right. I'm just you're, you're totally secure venture capital. <laughs> But, you know, we don't know what's going to be robotic or whatever, whatever. When you build a yeah. whole generation of innovative thinkers, agile thinkers, the opportunity to sustain the knowledge-based economy increases. Plus, you've got young people who are very engaged in sustainability of the planet, of humanity. Mm -hmm. It's good cause, shall we say. It is absolutely, and I and I say, you know, thank goodness for them, right? Because, oh. you know, uh, we we're we're not doing a good job, you know, some of these older generations, quite frankly, in sort of the space that we're standing in right now. So much of it could have been avoided, and yet we were hopeful um, that these young folks can sort of. Uh, well, that, help you know, us. I, I have a cute story I'll share with you. One of our teachers from Mexico, the, it's about 2019, we were live at Kennedy Space Center, and he walked up to me and he said. Your energy is amazing. What do you take? I said, take. I said, injections. He said, I knew it. What do you take? I said, hope. Yeah. Injections of hope every year from these kids. They're yeah. mind-blowing. And just so grateful to be able to bring them a framework where they can grow and bloom. And, you know, some of them are lone wolves and walk in mm -hmm. with a team of kids and they're not lone wolves anymore. And you see them right in front of your very eyes just get comfortable and mm -hmm. find their authentic self, which is stunning to watch. Yeah, it is. I, I agree. I've seen it so many times and it is it is really wonderful. I always like to close this program with sort of imagining the folks that are listening and saying, hey, that is amazing. How can I do that in my own community? How do I get access? Or how can I change, you know, sort of the, the direction of the lives of kids? So on cash, you know, from a from the participant perspective, if you're a teacher in Brazil or a teacher in rural America or in India listening to this and you're thinking about how can I take some of what I've heard um, and whether my students participate in the challenge or not, how can I make a difference in their lives? Um, what, what would you say to those, those, those individuals out there trying to change those lives? 
Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I think that you know I was really, really fortunate in that you know my my uh, teacher back in high school that really was our coach. She's actually a mem- member of the Conrad Challenge Advisory Board now. Uh, Myra Halpin, uh, big shout out to Dr. <laughs> Halpin. She's incredible, uh, and she's brought so many teams to the challenge over the years because. Uh, and, and really what it came down to was not saying no, right? right? The, it doesn't take much. Uh, all it takes as a teacher, as an educator is giving students a platform to explore mm-hmm. their own ingenuity, explore their own ideas. And for us, that, that's all it took was, so, you know, I think like a lo- later, <laughs> later in life in college, after in your first few jobs, someone might say, oh, there's no money in microgrids for rural communities. But when you're in high school, when you're working on these projects, you know, you can, no one has said no to right. you yet. Mm-hmm. And ideally, uh, as an educator, the best thing you can do is say yes and mm-hmm. explore this, explain this to me, tell us why this is going to work, build an elegant, build a sustainable business model around this problem you want to solve. And of course, you know, uh, to toot to the Conrad Challenges Horn, I think that, that's a good, mm-hmm. it's a good framework mm-hmm. for educators to say, look, let us be your coach, let us be your mentor, um, and help provide guidance as you kind of work through this challenge and through this competition. So I think those are some of the ways that um, at least educators have really, really been a huge influence in my mm-hmm. life. And I think uh, they have the, there, there's always an opportunity for educators to really kind of guide students in these journeys. Yeah, absolutely. Nancy, what, what would you add to that? Same question to you. You know, all the teams must have a coach. Mm-hmm. And a coach can also be a parent, an after school person, a grandparent. A, a worker in a factory, um, a venture capitalist, a professor. So as long as they have an adult with them, could be a college uh, student. I love the two words, yes, and. Yeah. So I use mm-hmm. it all the time. <laughs> People will start saying, but and I go, no, yes, and. So yes, and there are multiple ways for young people to participate in this kind of learning. Um, we are one of them. Do I think we're the best one? Of course I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be spending my time doing this. It's a labor of love. I really love what we do. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to bring this to the students and and to all the people that we work with, including the judges. Mm -hmm. We just believe that these kids can do it. So it's our belief in them that I think is is the the engine that drives this little bus around the world. And by the way, I mean, we are, we've gone from Australia to Zimbabwe and everything in between. We never went and did direct outreach to any single right. country. We do now have a couple of countries that work with us and bring the competition into their country, which is also an opportunity for countries to look at. They can host their own challenge mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kids get to come to summit. Um, but this happened organically because the kids found it. Mm-hmm. They drive it. They form the teams. They pick their coach. And Myra is one of the most outstanding educators I've ever met. We also have, by the way, a Teacher of the Year award. That's my award, and it's it's a credential for the students, mm-hmm. part of their portfolio. It's one of the top credentials for college admission at this point. Wow. Yeah. Plus, it it acknowledges the school and the teacher. They get this super cool Buck Rogers kind of statue that goes to their school for a year and, um, and a plaque and, you know, they get recognized. I think that giving kids their moonshot yeah. is really, uh, moonshot's an earth shot, by the way. Mm-hmm. Everything about space is really about earth. So embracing these kids and giving them an opportunity to 
to just be full and to think and to understand and to create and to be part of what tomorrow looks like. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. You know, I would agree on so many different life levels. So Nancy and Ankesh, thank you so much for making time in your day to share um, about the Conrad Challenge with all of us. And for our listeners around the world, I cannot advocate enough. You know, go to the website, take a look, think about your community, form a team, uh, support a team, be part of the Conrad Challenge. Um, you will not be sorry. So and thank you guys again. Do it is now. We are right in the first section of the entry the competition. So now. Now. <laughs> Absolutely now. That's the final message now to everybody. Um, so thank you both now. so much. Thank Thanks, you. Annalise. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.